0: This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zoop Hands Markets.
1: Where right now, you can find those beautiful peaches from Goldendale, Washington, uh, Gunkel Orchards, uh, Mary Hill Peaches. Uh, the farm was founded in 1936 and is now by run by grandson. So we're in third generation there. Excellent peaches. I just drove through that region a few days ago. And it's absolutely gorgeous. As you, as most know, it's a little north of the Fruit Loop in Oregon. So very beautiful climate, very different climate than we have in Portland.
0: Everybody needs to take a trip at least once through Goldendale, Washington. And this is actually making a lot of sense, Chris, because uh, I go through there often to go visit my in-laws in Yakima. Uh, and when we go through Goldendale, we often will see see signs for the family name Gunkel and now I know, oh, those are the guys that give us these great peaches.
1: Right, so just keep it in your mind, you can stop there, but you can also just wait to get back to Portland and go to Zupan's to pick them up and also if you go to the website, you're going to see a recipe for grilled pork chops with peach must start at, and that looks really good. I'm looking at that right now. It looks fantastic. So, of course, Zupan's not only uh, has the best produce you can find, but also gives you tips and ideas on how to prepare it.
0: Now, it's uh, we've talked about that often. Going to the website for those recipes to kind of you know increase your uh, your repertoire, as one might say, when you're you're putting together dinner, or if you want to go super super easy, don't forget that burgers in the breezeway is back. Thursdays at Lake Oswego uh, from 11 to two for lunch. And then back again from four to seven for dinner gourmet burgers with toppings and French fries. Both of us have done this multiple times burgers in the breezeway at Zupans is the way to do dinner on a Thursday night
1: or, or lunch, right? The or lunch, for lunch yep. as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Great, great uh, things happening at Zupans. They also have some of their dinners. You can go to their website and check out events. Lots of dinners, lots of uh, classes, and always something fun going on at Zoopans.
0: That's right. Three locations to serve you on McAdam, West Burnside, and Lake Oswego. And information always found where?
1: I'm looking at it right now, Zoopans.com.
0: All right, here it is. Time once again it's Portland's Food Scene podcast. It's right at the fork with your host Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures and taking a hint from you Chris last time. I'm Court Johnson from kink.fm.
1: There you go. Thanks. I love when you introduce both of us. Yeah. So, uh, good to see, you. good to talk to you. We're not seeing each other. I haven't seen you for a while, but I see you I see you on Zoom once in a while or or your still picture. Right, but I know it's you. You're authentic.
0: I'm I, I'm something. I'm something like that. I'm I'm uh I'm locked yeah. in a, in a dark closet right now as I as I speak to you. Um, uh, experiencing a little bit of back pain, Chris. I've I've uh, started physical therapy because I'm a middle-aged man with back pain. I I'm
1: sorry to hear that. I didn't realize that, and I hope it I hope it goes away soon. Well, How did this happen?
0: I, it, it, well, that's just it is not one thing did it. And when I went and saw my doctor about it, uh, the official diagnosis was him saying, court, you're you're in your 40s. You're middle aged now. Your back's going to start hurting every now and then. Like the last thing I wanted to hear.
1: Yeah, well, I'm beyond 40s and I've had a little back stuff here and there, but nothing too bad. Lower back. I can always use a massage.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I, everybody can.
1: But I haven't had anything where I couldn't couldn't move since like I think my thirties when I was, you know, stuck and couldn't move at all. Right. So um Yeah,
0: I'm uh, I'm not at that level, but I am to the point where I, I am doing actually some physical therapy. I, I started working out a little more and I'm sure that has to do with it. I probably have bad form, but uh but people have not come to right at the Fort Chris to listen to me talk about my back.
1: Well, maybe you can get some help. Maybe you get some free help. Maybe someone could write in. Of course, that's right at the fork at gmail.com. I don't think we've ever given that email address. Not very often, no. We ask people to subscribe and follow us on Food Podcast PDX and Instagram and other places. But no, not the email address. Write us. We're a little lonely. It's summertime. And we, we have the time to respond. So write us. Tell us what you think about the podcast. We do get. Emails once in a while, uh, some compliments. And don't write us if you got a problem with it. We don't want to hear.
0: No. <laughs> Not a, unless, you well, know, it's like a simple, simple, you know, like you're mispronouncing this word, quarter, or something like that. Oh, I, I'll, I like t- I'll, know, I'll take that.
1: I like to know that. So I like to know when we have mispronunciations. It embarrasses me, but it happens. Oh, totally. And, yeah. You know. The number of episodes we have we're bound to have had a few yes so um so listen i'm just back from a really exciting trip uh we took uh i set up a trip with canyon outfitters at um out in the snake river with uh with jonathan gill the chef at ringside four days on the snake river with george Houtman who we're going to have on the podcast because he In addition to the fantastic meal that Jonathan Gill cooked us um, the last night of the trip, this george george Hauptman is um has been running trips on the snake river since 1978 what were you doing in 1978 for uh in
0: 1978 i was probably still in uh, diapers chris <laughs> wow. Man, I, was in well, 70- okay. I was born in 77 so it depends late 77 so yeah wow yeah i should
1: have i should have done the quick math but still that makes the point George Houtman has been running trips on the Snake River since then. He has over a thousand trips where he not only cooks every meal, breakfast, lunch, and dinner with some assistance, but he rode a drift boat. He he rode R O W E D, a drift boat with four people in it and all the and a lot of gear, thirty-three miles down the river from the hell's canyon dam to pittsburgh landing over a few days that's a lot for a guy who's been doing this for uh 42 years yeah uh really a privilege and along the way i had the thought this food on this river is some of the the biggest treat you can have in the food world in oregon it's uh it was really incredible that diaz some friends pointed out there's no better dining room than those canyon walls. And uh, the food was fantastic. So I plan on having George and Lynette, who also is his, uh, you know, his, his wife and business partner. And they've been doing those trips and also trips to Australia, when it's winter here, and summer there, they guide people in Australia too. pretty incredible. So I was More than impressed, and I'm happy we're going again in August with Leaf, who we've interviewed quite a few times on this podcast from uh Flying Fish. So I'm excited about that. And I thought I would just harp a little bit about the Hauptmans um and what they do and their team too. They had some great guides and uh it was fantastic. And I will point out, in case I don't have the opportunity to do it again. Chef Jonathan Gill at ringside is awesome. But uh, George said that in his 42 years of guiding trips down that beautiful river, nobody has ever kayaked every rapid that we went through and not tipped the kayak over. But Jonathan did. He's the first one that George saw in 42 years and negotiated all of it. And he's only been paddling for a couple of years. Oh, wow. Understand. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So if you go to um, – I got a few of the pictures on uh, Portland Food Adventures Instagram, uh, and I'll put some more out there too, but um, pretty incredible. It was great. So um, that was a little break, and I and we have to apologize to our listeners because uh, we haven't missed – putting an episode out we've only missed once before we just missed the second time right i was on the river and you had a family emergency and i'm sorry to hear that court last week so um kai koo's episode ran for two weeks straight that's okay it's always there to listen to and if anybody wants to listen to one of how many other episodes? Two hundred seventy other episodes, something like that. They're yeah, all there.
0: They're they're all there, plus some extras, and we've got uh, some uh, stuff we never even counted, Chris. That's in the work. So we're, we're I think we're well over three hundred episodes.
1: I would think so. Yeah, if you only count right, because we had some of we used to have the the uh, sound bites, right? Yep. So we used to have those. Those didn't count towards our number. So um, yeah, there's a lot. So we apologize for not. Sending something fresh out on July 4th week. We figure you're probably busy too. so. uh, But we're back to it this week with uh, one of our favorite episodes with Kelsey Glasser from Arden PDX. Uh, They weathered the pandemic, as I could see, pretty well. And they're coming out of it with Chef Eric Van Clay at the helm. And they've got beautiful outdoor seating now at Arden. It happened to be the last portland food adventures dinner we did before the pandemic so it was the last time i got together at a table with i think it was 40 people um and for an incredible meal and it's a beautiful place kelsey's got quite a story which uh we cover in the podcast uh from an acting career in new york and la and becoming interested in wine in the pacific northwest and she married all of that together to a a wine bar which is also a restaurant because there's nowhere that eric van clay is cooking that can't be considered a great restaurant so that's what it is
0: yeah so this is a a look back to uh, it's interesting you brought that up chris to the pre-pandemic so yeah this is literally a month or so kind of uh this conversation before things changed forever uh we're going all the way back to early february of 2020 episode 231 with Kelsey Glazer.
2: Portland Food Adventures. Ready to break out and travel to some of the world's most delicious destinations? Portland Food Adventures has space available on two trips in 2022, to Basque Country in Spain with Chef Javier Canteras of Erdineta. Also, if you've never experienced Italy with Austria Enzyme, join Chris for the most delicious nine days in Western Sicily imaginable. Info at portlandfoodadventures.com.
1: everyone in it's been working and and, and i'm excited about it because we love eric
3: we love eric too he's been a real godsend he's great good and so uh how long has he been there now he's been there since july um so almost seven or eight months now at this point oh cool
1: yeah well, it's good to actually meet you face to face because I think we had our first conversation months ago, months and months uh-huh. ago, so a <laughs> long time getting here. Likewise. So, um, thanks for coming on a, yeah. we saw there was, I don't know if you noticed a little bit of sunlight just now. I know. A little bit of blue sky. The I don't know about sunlight. The weather's been so weird. It's... It's been great. It's, this time of year, well, no, 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 no. It, it hasn't been great for the last month. The last couple of days have been have interesting. They've been nice, We've yeah. gotten a few.
3: take it in small doses.
1: So, um... So, let's talk a little bit about Arden. Yeah, we'll we'll go there and then we'll kind of go backwards a little bit. Okay, and um, if you see me looking at my phone, it's not because I'm checking text messages. It's because this is where I have all our notes. That's great. So you can uh, be scrolling Instagram. It's fine. That'll be me. me, That's Court's deal. No, (laughs) it's my deal. But I try to you know I try to turn everything off. So here's what happens mm-hmm. at, when we record. Generally on Mondays, mm-hmm. I have all every sound, every notification off, and then I don't realize it until Friday. And so there are all sorts We've of things you missed that your
3: I've, whole week's yeah, updates.
1: And it's okay. There's nothing <laughs> that is completely. The world is still going on without yep. all of that. Um, but you so. Arden is, how long have you had Arden now?
3: Arden will be two
1: years old in March, so it's still pretty young. And what was the, what was the reason for the name? Let's go
3: there first. Well, um, Ar- the Forest of Arden uh, in Shakespeare's As You Like It was um, kind of this mythical forest where everyone went to escape the city and kind of the corruption and hustle and bustle of the court and live off the land and live this kind of simple romantic life where they would write poetry in the trees and sing songs and just kind of hang out and be at peace. Um, So we thought it was a nice kind of symbol of kind of an oasis in the middle of a busy, stressful life and city
1: sort of environment. That's great. I wish I would have known that. I I can't (laughs) admit that. Oh, yes, that.
3: No, it's it's a pretty name just on its own. And you can spell it easily. And, you know, it's not complicated, but We like that there's a fun little
1: backstory, too. Well, good. It's good to have that story. Again, I humbly admit I didn't know. No, that's okay. You know, I might have read that back in high school, but there's not much I remember from two weeks ago, much less high school.
3: It's also a place that was kind of run by women, and especially a play about women in men's roles. And granted, we don't have Sarah as our chef anymore, but Mm -hmm. when we first opened, you know, she and I were kind of running the food and wine side by side, so... Mm -hmm. It it had a good little double meeting as well.
1: Good. And speaking of words, have you not changed the actual descriptor of Arden? So it's gone from Arden Wine Bar when you opened, I believe. Yeah, it was Arden. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, go ahead. It was Arden Wine Bar and Kitchen when we first opened. And, you know, I I think people clung on to the wine bar part more than the kitchen part. And the intention was that it was always going to be a full restaurant because we had first opened a wine bar two blocks away, Thelonious. Um and the idea is that this would be a sister restaurant where people could go to get a full meal. Um, so we realized pretty early on that that was misleading for people, and mm-hmm. it was also the year that all of the wine bars right, in Portland say, opened. Yes,
1: that was Anateca, Nostrana and Dame okay and, and, and okay Dame, yeah. Canard. Even so, everything was known as a restaurant that was a wine bar. But, exactly, but isn't that interesting that two years later, not necessarily the case here,
3: yeah. I mean, there's still I think finally, I mean, we still get people walking in saying, "Oh, I had no idea you were a full restaurant. I've never been in because I thought you just served wine." Mm-hmm. Um And so it's good that people are still kind of finally having that realization. Um, and it was great to be kind of I guess writing the coattails of all of that press that that wine and wine bars were getting when mm-hmm. we opened. Um, you know, because we got written up in all of the publications because everyone was really into wine.
1: Um, And everyone's really into lists, too. (laughs) So as soon as you mention wine bar, someone needs a list of 10 places.
3: Exactly. And we got really lucky, which I didn't realize, because we named it Arden, which comes first in the alphabet.
1: (laughs) You should have named it double (laughs) A-A-R-D-E-N.
3: Or number one Arden, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, it worked out.
1: Um, So... And, and you've evolved over time. So, having Eric uh-huh. Van Clay in there, not that everybody would know. So, f- formally, of, I mean, let's go back to. The
3: Pigeon. Well, yeah, it yeah. goes
1: back to Michigan and Arizona, too, yep. before that. But as far as Portland goes, yeah, the Pigeon. Uh-huh. And really, Little Bird, which yeah. sadly just closed. Yep. Um, was opened up as Eric's place. Gabriel, you know, they needed a place to put Eric because he was getting to the point where he needed to really grow. Yeah. So they opened Little Bird for for him, and he ran that, what, four years, I think it was? Yeah, I think he was
3: at Little... I think he was at La Pigeon for four years and Little Bird for five years.
1: Five. Yeah. Yeah, Okay, so nine years Mm -hmm. at two of the best restaurants. Then he opens Taylor Railworks, Uh which was... In my mind, one of my at the time that was my hang. Yeah, I used to love to go there to hang at the at the bar and yeah, talk, what so and sadly that closed. It mm-hmm. was at a couple of years. I
3: yeah, think. I think it, he was open for three
1: years. Right. Yeah, and um, and I'm uh, I'm going through this because we can get somewhere else with yeah. it too. And then he went to Acanto, uh-huh. and then that's and then then yep. So Yeah. Uh, so and to you. Yeah. So we just did an event with him <laughs> at Bar Casa Valley. We did the opening yeah. night of Taylor Railworks. Did you know that, that we did the opening night?
3: I, I didn't know it was the opening night. I knew you did a dinner with him. But
1: yeah, it was fantastic. It was just really beautiful. Cool. It's one of those really nice ones. And I um, look back and feel honored that Portland Food Adventures has been able to do some things like that. But at any rate, so Eric has some chops. <laughs> just so, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, just a little bit. And he's worked in many different conditions and he probably I want to a little later get to the state of the Portland restaurant industry yeah. because we just talked about a number of incredible places that yeah. closed. Um but now Eric's in your tiny little kitchen. Uh-huh. And very tiny. doing really well. I talked to him a few weeks ago. He's very happy yeah, there. So. He really enjoys um A lot about it, um, but has some challenges in the tiny kitchen.
3: It's a really small space, and I don't think we quite... I mean, I'm not a cook, and so we knew looking at it when we opened it that it was a small space. Um, And and Sarah, our original chef, kind of helped us design the layout of it, and I think we've made the best of the situation that that we can, um, but there's no walk-in. All of our refrigeration is under counter. It's basically four coolers. It's mm-hmm. really small. So they're having to reorder ingredients basically every single day. Which um, is good. Which That's means gonna... everything's very fresh. Right. Um but there's also, you know, there's not a back prep room. Um and people have asked, oh, why don't you open for lunch? And we physically don't have the space to do anything but dinner service because they're prepping in there all day. Right. Um and it's I mean, I should know the square footage of the kitchen, but it's tiny. It's like four feet by 15 feet or something like
1: That's
3: that 60 60 <laughs> doing it on the fly here no, yeah. No. <laughs> um, but yeah it's very very small um, and I I think it's it, it probably forces them to be really creative with what they can accomplish in there there's only four burners um, you know so they have to be very specific about the dishes that they use and the ingredients that they use but it's also I think it probably makes them tired. Um, it's a lot to think about and a lot to worry about and and Eric's doing a great job um, and I think hopefully he's getting a little more used to the constraints. Um, I know coming in, he really wanted to get familiar with the space before he started to change it so he kept on with uh, Sarah's menu as it had been for mm-hmm. four to six weeks and started gradually changing things here and there um, which I think speaks to how Um, methodical he is and and you know attentive to details like I think some chefs would have come in and had a lot of ego and just immediately changed the menu to you know their their dishes Mm -hmm. but he realized that you know he didn't want to totally disrupt service or you know come up with something that they couldn't execute so yeah he's He's been really smart about the way he's handled
1: things. And what kind of staffing is in there at dinner? There's just
3: three of them. Um, And some nights there's only two cooks in the kitchen, Eric and one other person or our sous chef, Brandon. I mean, there's basically just Eric, Brandon and Ethan. Um, We have been bringing in help on certain nights, um, especially during the holidays. We had a lot of parties and um, going into dining month. But we are going to go back to five days a week in April um, because we've been in this weird place where we're not quite staffed enough to make six days easy for them. And we don't want to burn everyone out, um, but we don't quite have the hours to give to to another full-time cook. Mm -hmm. So Sundays have always been not quite, you know, as busy as we'd like them to be. And so we're going to go down to five days a week, which is how we originally started. And it was great. Um, and that'll that'll mean that all three of them are there all five days.
1: So do you want people to think of Arden as a restaurant that yes. happens to have excellent wine? Yes. Or, or this is a place to get great wine and eat?
3: The former. Um, I mean, we do have a great wine program, but all of the wines are kind of intended to be enjoyed alongside food. And the wine program is designed yeah to complement the menu um so it's not like the food is decided based on the wine it's the other way around um and and, you know we do half glasses and we do full glasses but we don't really do wine tastings we don't do flights you know that we do a winemaker dinner series but it's really about the relationship between food and wine and not just tasting through stuff you know
1: so how did you how did you what initially got you excited about wine. You know, you're still young, so that it couldn't have been long ago. <laughs>
3: I mean, I've been, I guess, focused on wine for about eight years, but I've been in restaurants for 12 years now. Um, and it was when I got out of college and moved to Los Angeles and I'd been, you know, cocktail serving. Where'd you go, and where'd you go to college? I went to NYU. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, I'm from here.
1: So you grew up here and I yeah. grew up in New York. That's yep. interesting.
3: And in New York for almost five years and then went to L.A. for about five years, almost six years, and then came back to Portland. Um, and so, yeah, when I moved to L.A., I didn't have a lot of fine dining experience, but I ended up working for Jose Andres at his restaurant, The Bazaar. Um, Kind of by fluke, I got really lucky. It was my first job out there and I worked there for four
1: years. How did that become your first job out there? Most people have to start and work there. I
3: started there as a cocktail server, so I wasn't jumping straight into a server role. Mm -hmm. Um, But there was so much to learn. I mean, they really, there was like two full weeks of training um, that was involved there because the food is so specific within you know the molecular gastronomy realm so we had to learn how the olives are spherified and you know how the nitrogen freezes the caipirinhas and there's a lot of science involved and I thought it was really fun um and obviously there's state-of-the-art wine to go alongside the food and it, specifically Spanish wine so I started learning a lot about Spain um and really enjoyed it um and basically, I was I was in LA to pursue an acting career, and somewhere along the way, a couple years in, I think this is the story for a good amount of people in LA. I going to say, yeah, say. you get really burned out on the auditioning thing, and kind of feel I kind of felt like I was banging my head against a wall and working hard but not seeing any progress. Whereas in wine and in restaurants, you know, you could learn and, and work hard and actually move up the ranks, which was great. Um, and so someone suggested to me like, oh, you're really good at the wine thing. Why don't you, you know, do it officially? Why don't you become a sommelier? And I knew nothing about it at the time. Um, but I started looking into it. Um, and I took my, I kind of just dove in and got my certification, my level two through the court within like four months or so, um, three or four months, which was great. That's diving in. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm that's usually the way I work it's hard for me to go like half on
1: something so I'm we'll we'll keep on going but I'm guessing you were a stellar student in school yes <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, a very good
1: student 4.0 or close or always yeah. there and driven yeah were you, was did that come from your parents that were you, did they drive you were you just
3: you know they never pushed me in any way um but they're both very smart, and I was actually homeschooled when I was little because they're hippies, and my dad's basically like a rocket scientist, and they were they never wanted us to associate learning with boredom. And so, wow,
1: well, that's progressive,
3: <laughs> yeah. I, I was and so
1: where was this in Willamette Valley that you grew up
3: they're They're in between Sherwood and Newburgh and Shoals if you're driving mm-hmm. from the Allison to. oh that's a beautiful area yeah it's like right there um and they still live out there on five acres and it was you know a really beautiful place to grow up and because i wasn't in you know normal elementary school i basically just had homework i would wake up in the morning and my dad would have made me a list of like read this book and do these problems and if i had a question i would come to him but i knew that the quicker i did my work the quicker i could go out and play or go read a book or.
1: You know. And what kind, what was playing like in those
3: days? Oh, uh, there was days? mostly I mean, not, outdoors.
1: Yeah, close to, but did you have a lot of friends that were nearby? Yeah. I don't know what it was like th- in that.
3: I mean, I guess woods. school ended. There were a lot of kids out there, but, you know, they would be in school until 2.30 or 3. Well, and so I think I, you know, would wake up, do a couple hours, which was, you know, I'd get my school done in like two or three hours. Um, cause I just wanted to power through it and then I would read books or I would draw or, you know, kind of have some self time, which I think was also really good. I think a lot of kids don't get that.
1: Well, yeah, but your self time then yeah. would be very different than self time. I don't for have self time now. now. Well, no, for <laughs> oh, yeah, you for kids, or for kids now. Cause it
3: would be on a screen. Right. Absolutely. would be on a
1: screen or phone or something and I think yeah. you probably were towards the tail end of yeah. when that was My not parents not didn't have
3: us uh, that didn't allow us to watch more than an hour of TV every day. And uh, we I, didn't have cable. So I a lot can't of PBS. imagine,
1: though the commitment that it took from your parents to develop your curriculum <laughs> and then do keep yeah. on it daily. Did they have any time to th- themselves?
3: I mean, my, they're both self-employed. And so um, my, my mom owns a, I mean, she's mostly retired now, but kind of a high tech uh, marketing company. And so she was writing marketing stuff for Intel and Hewlett Packard and Microsoft and well, stuff but- like that. And so it allowed us to go on a lot of cool vacations and, and, you know, we would drive down to like the American Southwest and go to all the national parks and do all these hikes. And at the time I definitely rolled my eyes and <laughs> whined about it. Um, but in retrospect it was a really special
1: thing. And some of your best education. Is absolutely. Going on those trips. Yeah, and getting you know out of, getting out of the, the, the house absolutely, and the area.
3: Yeah. So it it was great. And, you know, my brother uh Is not quite as self motivated as I am. And he started, he wanted to go to school with his friends starting in like fourth grade. And I waited until middle school and then I started going just for the fun classes. So I went for like band and drama and home ec. And just it was more of a social.
1: Experience and, and drama stuck, which strikes me as pretty yeah. interesting. Because if you were a little bit of a loner in elementary uh-huh. school, you <laughs> didn't have the outlet to yeah. to be um, expressive and theatrical yeah. at home, unless it was your parents. Hey, stand right here and watch me do this. No,
3: it, I mean I start. I actually started coming into Northwest Children's Theater when I was like eight. Um, my parents brought me to see plays, and I really loved it. And Northwest Children's Theater has this very active. School part of it. And so they would drive me in during the summer and I would do all these classes and and that's sort of where I fell in love with it Um, but yeah taking a a drama class was definitely a, a social experience But my poor parents I wanted to I was the kid who wanted to do everything I wanted to do dance I wanted to you know, take this class and played all the sports So while I wasn't at school during the day, I was definitely still going down to school to have soccer practice and then basketball practice, and oh, so you, you, know, you could do I that. Could, they, yeah, it turns out the school system lets you kind of do whatever you want. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, so I had all the social perks of you know public school without having to go to any of the classes. Um, and I started going full time in high school, and actually just realized what how much time is wasted. You know, it was kind of surprising to me that you know you it wasn't like oh, as soon as you get the work done you're done for the day. You had to sit there for an hour and kind of learn everything along the way. Even if you grasp the concept, you're still going to talk about it for another 45 minutes. Um, but it was fun. It was it was a good experience, you know?
1: All right. So you, um, what, what drove you to... So here's my thing about Oregon. People who grew up here, I don't know, and I always like to hear it, if they appreciate Oregon as much as those of us who... Jump through hoops to move out here because yeah. I did. It wasn't, I mean, it's not something you could just click a finger and do. Yeah. So I think asking someone who grew up here, went away to two of the, the two largest c- cities in the country <laughs> and then came back, um, if you, your appreciation for all the good things that are good about Oregon, and I have to believe that you have them because you know the absolutely the best of you know what's grown here is part of your psyche and part of your ethos is yeah. a better word now so what drove you to go to new york what
3: it was acting um i i went to nyu to study acting at, at tisch at their big program um and i i had known that i wanted to go there for a while uh for the couple last couple years of high school i guess i kind of settled on that as my goal school to get into um but yeah i i guess i to quickly kind of answer your question about appreciating organ i mean i didn't appreciate sherwood that's for sure i spent as little time there as i possibly could and kind of had a chip on my shoulder about it but i spent a lot of time in portland uh doing theater when i was in, in my teen years and i loved portland but because I wanted to be a professional actress, I also knew that I needed to go to New York or LA. Um, so I always loved Portland and it was always quirky and fun and I had a blast spending time there here. But I, I always wanted to go to a bigger city. And so New York was about as opposite of an experience as I could get from growing up on five acres in Sherwood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I really didn't feel like I got a college experience, you know, I just got a New York City experience because NYU doesn't have a campus it just kind of plops you down into the middle of Manhattan and you have to fend for yourself, which I really loved. Some kids had a harder time assimilating. I um, would
1: imagine it would chew up a lot of small-town kids.
3: Yeah. I mean, the acting program that I went into was so rigorous and it was so um, tight-knit. Uh, like there was, I guess, 40. No, I can't remember. They they split us into groups, so you worked closely with a group of 15 to 20 kids you know three days a week for 12 hours a day and then you had rehearsals so you were kind of given this built-in community I, I had roommates that were in like the College of Arts and Sciences that didn't have that and I think struggled to make friends and meet people because you weren't forced to spend time with such a small group um, but I had a lot of fun you know and it was like you know I, I feel bad that my parents spent that much money basically sending me to like drama camp for three years you know um but it was a blast
1: well and not, and not that i'm gonna identify the years but if you did that now it'd be triple or yeah. double no it's true no double i'm looking i'm looking at me it would be triple for you.
3: <laughs> it's definitely gotten more expensive and i i at least knocked one year off through ap credits in high school so i saved him a little bit of money there
1: did you have any roles in particular that you were that in the plays that you worked on at that stick with you that you enjoyed the most were you better at uh, high drama a little comedy
3: i i was always really into shakespeare um and okay (laughs) i I was a i was a company member of a little tiny company in portland called northwest classical um for the last two years i was here and really got into shakespeare there and when i was in school i had a great shakespeare teacher and he recommended do, that I do a program in Oxford that they do every summer. So I spent a summer nice. in Oxford oh, very nice. with, you know, amazing teachers, Derek Jacobi and Fiona Shaw and like these great kind of legendary British actors. Um, and so, yeah, that was a big part of it. Um, I, I did. I mean, we worked on so many different shows. Um, I even like my first show out of college was an off Broadway kids musical. Um, so it was kind of across the board. Um yeah, I guess Shakespeare was sort of my standout for me, but we did a little bit of everything.
1: Do you do you use this is bouncing all over? But <laughs> do you use any of your theatrical experience as as a sommelier? To yeah,
3: I mean, I think a lot of actors are good at hospitality because you know it involves person to person interaction. Um, you have the skills required to kind of keep a game face on and and act a little bit because the night is not always going as you want it to go in a restaurant and mm. maybe you don't necessarily feel like being there or maybe this person really pissed you off or you know no, maybe we happen, it never happens
1: it? ever That's you only that's only after the fact reading your Yelp reviews <laughs> <Exactly>. that's all
3: <laughs> So I think I think the skills of of kind of playing the part of knowing the experience you need to to deliver and, and that's different at each restaurant. And, and so I think a, a lot of actors enjoy the hospitality environment because of that. Um, and you're not sitting in a cubicle at a at a computer, you know, you and it is a, a physical sort of performative experience. You know, you're using your whole body and you're running around and you have to be on and you're presenting things to people and you have to talk in a, you know, you kind of have to learn this script of each restaurant where you work.
1: Right, but you don't have to. Those that are really good at it do and understand that, but some are just going through the motions. But I, I have to say that, you know, the restaurant experience can be that much better when there's some theatrics involved. When yeah. And by that, I mean a lot of passion. Yeah. So when someone really understands the menu and really wants to help... Um, or yeah. is really good at acting about them wanting <laughs> exactly. to help.
3: Um, shouldn't be able to tell the difference,
1: right? You shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Um, the experience is that much better. I, you know, I think back. Interestingly, some of the Italian restaurants in New York. Yeah. I mean, that is the just hearing the specials mm-hmm. can be a theatrical experience. Absolutely. That is that's what makes it makes the meal as much as the food. Yeah. So you don't. I don't think you get that. As much out here mm-hmm. as you, as we would like. Yeah. Um, I,
3: yeah, I think, I mean, I'm thinking back to the Bazaar, which was Jose's Jose Andres' restaurant, and it was very theatrical in retrospect. I've never really thought about it in those Spanish terms.
1: people, that's all
3: <laughs> Well, but even the way, I mean, the Bazaar is like a, fi- uh, God, is it, I think it's like 15,000 square feet. It's huge. And wow. there's like five or six different specific rooms. You start in the bar and, you know, even the cocktails are very theatrical you know there's a, a magic mojito where you bring cotton candy in a martini glass and then you pour a little shaker and it disappears and they bring over a, a nitrogen a liquid nitrogen cart and they're making you a caipirinha and there's smoke everywhere um there's a lot of theatrics just involved in the serving of the food and you know molecular gastronomy overall you it's know conducive
1: it's, to that yeah
3: um and so i think that was Fun for me and and it did require learning so much information and you know telling it back to guests which is very like I was good at that because I could learn lines pretty quickly
1: <laughs> right you can memorize them me- you can memorize every ingredient yeah. in the dish and-,
3: and I think you get that in Portland probably more so at you know pre at tasting menu sort of restaurants but even when people come into Arden you know we want it to be an experience that kind of pulls them out of their daily life and and feels different and feels like this kind of comforting and and like simple but kind of living off the land like visually everything is very i don't know earth related in there there's rocks and and wood and greenery and um and kind of dim lighting and it it should kind of pull you into this other environment that feels different than where you just came from
1: mm-hmm.
3: and the the small kitchen is also very Performative people love sitting up at the chef's counter because you're literally, you know, 18 inches away from our three cooks watching them do everything. They can't hide. And, you know, that's all the more props to Eric and and his team because they can't, you know, snap at each other or swear or, you know, freak out because everyone's watching.
1: I I did know one chef in Portland that would do that in that situation. (laughs) No longer in Portland. I mean, that's
3: also a show, I guess. It just depends Uh, what show you want to give. That's
1: that's like the the car crashes in NASCAR. That's, you know, people want, hey, let's go watch this. doesn't happen very often. And that was, (laughs) I mentioned, you know, Eric at uh, Taylor Railworks. It was it was a very calming experience to watch everybody almost silently yeah. do their jobs and um, and uh, harmoniously get yeah. everything done.
3: They're always, it's, I mean, even on the busiest nights, they're cracking each other up. And, you know, there's a whole litany of inside jokes and phrases that you will hear tossed around at any given time in that kitchen. And they all mm-hmm. keep each other smiling. And so it's it's a skill for sure, because I've definitely, most of the kitchens I've worked with, you know, you go back there and you kind of like, As front of house, skirt around because you don't want to piss anyone off. And
1: yeah, you're not supposed to be there for too long. Yeah, get out.
3: And people are screaming at each other. And yeah,
1: (laughs) but you know, it's one of the things that um, appeals to me most about the whole. It's what really drove me to get into the food scene here was the theatrics of it. Because coming from Connecticut, I didn't see. You didn't see a kitchen. Yeah, you you sat at a table and it came out. Yeah, and here there were chefs counters. This is back in you know the mid two thousands and early two thousands. There were chef counters and you could you could participate a, in yeah. a little different way into the in the dining experience than you did Ridge, elsewhere. Pigeon
3: was probably one of the first in Portland, I assume, right?
1: I can't say whether it was yeah. one of the first, but um yeah, it definitely and and that was one of the. Signature aspects of Le Pigeon was sitting at the chef's counter, yeah, and still is. Um, and uh, same thing at Canard, yep. built around that. Yep. Um, but you know, there were some others. I remember specifically this is a little later, but going to Country Cat and loving uh-huh. to hang out with Adam Sappington there, and um, then there was a restaurant called Fife. I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty cool. But those were some of the... And and taste at Gorham's restaurants, Mm -hmm. the early watching the chef experiences and watching the kitchen experiences.
3: Well, I feel like those were probably a little ahead of their time because now there's so much focus on the chef. Like, you're right, in the past... You never saw the kitchen. You know, it was it was all the experience of the front of house. And I think a lot of the show went on with the white tablecloth and the very complicated steps of service and the tableside Caesar salads, and, you know, stuff like that. And now, with the advent of cooking uh, documentaries and and chef's table, and people are fascinated with chefs as, you know, as characters and how they all operate. And there's five million shows about them. And I think now people want an open kitchen because they want to be able to see what they've seen on TV in real life. It
1: comes from TV and I also believe and I've said this so in 7 years of the po- this podcast anybody who's a regular listener and thank you for being so. Um <laughs> would have heard this before but um oh man, I just com- completely forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Something
3: well, about that, theatrics, the, TV to documentary to
1: Yeah, oh, oh, that um in Portland you know, so you've been in New York and L.A., uh-huh. and it doesn't sound like you're a real sports fan, but you did like sports. But when I moved here from the New York area, uh-huh. you know, I, I thought, well, it's fair to say back in 2005, all we had was the Blazers, other than a AAA baseball team. Yeah. Um, the Rockies. The the Rockies? That's it, was the it was the Beavers. Oh, the Be. okay. Well, they probably changed a number of times. <laughs> but at any rate, there was, the, all we had was the Blazers. Yeah. So- And with the advent of television, chefs Mm -hmm. became elevated, and I thought they were Portland's real celebrities, Yeah, and they were people, uh, unlike any athlete, that you could interact with. You're eating their food, you know? It's true. No, Brandon Roy at the time was not going to pass me the basketball and say, shoot from outside, but- But you could
3: sit at the chef's counter and have a conversation with Gabriel Rucker.
1: Right, and have him, and the, the other aspect of it, which led to what I'm doing now, is- unlike the east coast or even la yeah having chefs tell you where they like to go where yeah. they hang out that would never happen in the east yeah. in, in the east coast they would never share uh-huh. a, another place with you just come back here yeah so it made everything very unique and spe- and special and i think we're we're still yeah. seeing that but the the restaurant industry is changing quite a bit yeah let's get to that when we come back okay
0: Hey, Chris, let's pause just a moment and talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse.
1: Yeah, and Ringside, it seems like back to normal at Ringside, but it's even better than it used to be because now, in addition to indoor dining and takeout, you've got beautiful outdoor dining at Ringside and they just set up a new little area. And uh, as they said yesterday, you've got an old dog learning new tricks. Uh, at ringside so they have some really beautiful space outside and of course the weather is conducive to that right now Um, and their hours are wednesday to friday 5 to 10 p.m saturday and sunday opening an hour earlier at four and you can order your to-go food, uh, an hour before the start of business. So note those hours that I just meant mentioned, and you can pick it up until nine.
0: When you do go to ringside steakhouse, if you're, uh, if you're choosing to dine in, whether that be indoor or outdoor, you want to make those reservations. You can do that through the website, ringsidesteakhouse.com, or I use the open table app, Chris, and that makes it super easy. You just hop on there, you find your time, you find your table and you're good to go.
1: It's, it's a 30 second process at most to get a reservation at ringside. So uh, think about what you're doing in the next 30 seconds and think about how productive and delicious that can
0: be. And again, if you missed any of the information we just covered, the website again is ringsidesteakhouse.com.
1: So the restaurant industry, you know, we were talking about how intimate it is Mm -hmm. and Things are changing. Now you're seeing a lot of hotels going in. Mm -hmm. The stakes have changed. How many restaurants in the last two years have closed simply because the leases weren't working? They weren't penciling out from a lease standpoint. And that was not the case. I remember years ago when I met um, Ethan Stoll in Seattle, and he was always a little bit envious of Portland because chefs could be more creative because there was not as much at stake. Yeah, and uh, no pun intended. Now the ball game has changed. How does that affect how you all think? And I know it has to affect. You know your your the nucleus of your organization right now. Eric has gone through some rocky times yeah. over the last four years, so he's there. I'm sure, uh, you know, cognizant of all that and and operating in a s- certain fashion. Yeah,
3: I mean, I he and I have talked about this. A lot. Obviously, he has you know much more experience in the Portland restaurant scene than I do. Um, but I think I think yes, lease play cost you know plays a factor. I, I I think less of the rent is less of an issue than labor and competition. There's so many restaurants in Portland, um, and I think in a lot of cities too, like San Francisco, went through a lot of closures this last year as well. Michelin starred places, and you know I, I think the the margins are getting smaller with, with the labor going up. I think it's great that minimum wage is increasing, but historically in restaurants, you know, people weren't living off of the minimum wage. They're living off the tips, you know? So the, the way that the owners can make any money is, is through the cost of labor, not totally surpassing the cost of, you know, what people are eating and drinking there. Um, and, I think that's why a lot of people are moving to fast casual. You know, Eric and I both feel like it's hard for the classic restaurant model in Portland, especially right now, because all of the press and attention is going to either fast casual or to more formal fine dining restaurants uh, that the model of those that are opening up. Um,
1: And, and the two of those are, you got fast casual, which are, Most owner operators, yeah, that's what they can afford to do, yeah, and then the other side of it is the fine dining is that's what you're seeing in hotels because they can subsidize it exactly with With the rooms. I mean, with rooms and the fact that they have built in clientele for the restaurant, right? And most hotel with expense accounts,
3: yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, most hotel restaurants don't even make money. Like, if it kind of blew my mind when, when I learned that. A lot of, you know, Michelin two Michelin starred restaurants in hotels are really just there as an amenity for the hotel itself because they will draw people in to pay for these insanely expensive rooms. But there's so much labor involved in fine dining and the steps of service that it is virtually uh, it's very difficult to make money on those places, even when you're busy because you have such a big staff Um and you know those places are struggling in portland too you know and that's why a lot of them are only open three or four days a week and and the blessing is that they're not waiting around for walk-ins you know they're sort of just planning on the reservations they have and staffing accordingly um but for the normal restaurant model i mean i think somehow things are going to have to shift because it's very difficult to 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 operate successfully A restaurant right now um, in the world. (laughs) And, you know, especially I think that's why restaurant groups make more sense because the margins are so small that if you just have one, it doesn't make a lot. You kind of need three or four. Um, And that has all been kind of a steep learning curve for me. Um, And if you're not consistently busy, then you're really in trouble. And especially when you know, we felt this at Arden. You get all of the new press when you first open. And
1: And this is a city of the next shiny Oh, thing.
3: absolutely. And it's it's these lists. It's the best new restaurants, the best new bars, the best new wine bars, the best new 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 new. You know, that's all if Eater. If we didn't have
1: so many, we wouldn't need lists.
3: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and I mean, you know, you look anything on Eater, it's all news. And so, once you're not news anymore, you're you're sort of left to fend for yourself. And there's so many new restaurants opening that pretty soon they're not new. And it's kind of this, you know, I I, I don't like to think about it as so competitive, but you really have to find an edge because at this point, having good food and good service and good ambiance isn't enough because a lot of restaurants have that in Portland. And what's going to make me decide to go to Arden? Versus 10 of the other great restaurants, you know, you you have to kind of I think a lot of it what we realize realizing is coming down to is, you know, the relationships we build with our guests and kind of creating this special experience that's a personal one that yes, the food is great and the wine is great. And and you, you those things become a given. You have to be able to accomplish those things. But then it's about this kind of X factor of how do you make people feel special because that's really going to determine your survival, I think
1: but there's a second part of that which goes to PR and everything but that's keeping a restaurant top of mind. So I can yeah. I could love and I it's happened many times so many places but oh I haven't thought of going there in a long time and so um you know you have email lists yeah. and so forth to do that but it's really difficult in a yeah. city that's so saturated. This is Disneyland yeah. food um to remain top of mind. So you've either got uh, to rely on getting on those lists, yep, your own email list, yep. or your dedicated clientele who yeah. love you, yeah, who are always there, who bring friends, and that's the first place they think of when they think of the th- that type of dining yeah. experience.
3: Well, and I think want. you know it's very rare if you look at Portland Mercury and Portland Monthly and, and all and Oregonian and all the publications. It's very rare to see press for restaurants that aren't a year, you know, a mm-hmm. year older or younger. Um, You know, yes, there's kind of like the once a year like best restaurants in Portland list and you want to hope to get on those. But even if you pay people to do PR for you, you know, I've worked with the best, you know, kind of Portland restaurant PR company and, and they do an amazing job. But it's still there's not really availability for a lot of press unless you're doing something new and exciting. And that's something we've realized we have to develop new events in order to get press mm-hmm. pretty much at all. So, you know, we do this winemaker dinner series or you this. have a great
1: one coming up.
3: Yeah. We have the first one tonight, actually. Um, it, last year we developed a pretty all-star lineup and it was kind of the best of the best of, of Oregon wines, kind of the godfathers, you know, Beaufrere and Brickhouse and, um, you know, a lot of these kind of iconic wineries. Um, and so that was great to sell tickets because everyone wants to come and hang out with Raj Parr and Mike Etzel and Doug tonnell um and larry stone. and And this year, we're like, how are we going to top that? How are we going to make it different? And so it's all local women, which I think is really exciting. Um, you know, Lynn Pinnerash and Louisa Ponzi and Maggie Harrison Tonight is Brian Day. Um, and that again we can we can kind of send that out and get news on it because it's it's new and shiny and and exciting and and especially in the age of Instagram and people want people want new things to get excited and, and come in about. so that's been an important realization for us
1: and it's also. On the other side, when you're saying it's difficult, on the other hand, you have Instagram now. Yes. So years ago, you had to buy an ad in Portland Monthly yes, right, to, exactly. to stay out there. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with that, but now you have an opportunity I've always yeah. said this, and and even with Yelp, when when restaurateurs complain about Yelp, I'm like, well, you have it, yeah. And and there are some advantages to it. I know it pisses you off, but on the other no. hand, that's what a lot of people refer to when I go Absolutely. to a, when I go to a market. Sometimes I mean uh, a city. Yeah. Sometimes I'll pull up Yelp, just and and I know how to look. I think I know how to look at the reviews to find the place. Yeah. But you have that opportunity. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the
3: only advertising we pay for is. Facebook, Instagram, and Google. You know, we I we've tried doing print ads, and and we've kind of realized it. Maybe at least with our clientele, the only thing we really see results from is social at this point. And I know. The Oregonian and the Willamette Week and stuff don't want to hear that, and maybe it works for other restaurants, but it's also I think there's less cost required. The
1: Oregonian knows it. Yeah, that's, that's why it's so th- <laughs> they 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 don't want, they didn't want to hear it for years. Now I don't think they they've just worked around it. Well, and it's so,
3: expensive. You know, it's yeah. almost a thousand dollars or something to to do a small print ad in one issue of one publication. Right and whereas it's gone. yeah, and you can spend you know, you can be very specific with your budget on social and, you know, I don't quite understand how it all works. I'd have someone help us with it.
1: Even if you understand it, it changes a year later. Exactly. That's the, that to me has been the challenge because every time I catch up with it, I'm frustrated. I'm older and I don't, it's hard to keep up with all the algorithms. It's impossible. We,
3: We realized our email list is really our most valuable asset In terms Mm -hmm. of because the people who are there want to be there Mm -hmm. and and we can we you know, we send out one newsletter a month and we try to make it interesting. We have a blog on the website. You know, right now we're featuring interviews with all of the winemakers. So we have the one with Brian Day up. Sometimes we'll have recipes. Sometimes we'll have, you know, spotlights on farmers. Um, You know, we we do a lot
1: of work. It is. That's, that's not rest. – that isn't tradition, traditional restaurant work.
3: It's, no, but again, you have it's, it's to have an edge. Right, you have like, to keep people interested.
1: Right. So <laughs> what do you have – we're uh, running out of time, yeah. unfortunately, because whenever we have an interview that all of a sudden we're out of time, it's flowing. You're a great guest, and Thanks. we'll thank Carrie Welch yeah, because – Carrie's amazing. She, she told me how great you were going to be and how <laughs> – and she was right, is right, was right. Um, but what, so, what do you first? First off, your website URL is
3: www.arden dot com.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. Generally, one can assume you just put pdx after the name. I know, but we they may not know it's just Arden. That's good <laughs> that you have that. And then Instagram is Arden pdx Arden, as well. Everything's Arden
3: pdx. Yeah. So
1: that's where people can find you. Uh-huh. And when they go there, what kind? So you talked about your series uh yeah your, uh wine dinners with women uh-huh. w- women yeah are those sold out do you still have tickets
3: we still have tickets i mean this is the first one um so it's starting now going to the end of the year and then it skips um october and september for harvest but other than that they're on monday evenings one per month um they're at 6 30 they're four courses and usually five or six wines and it's fun for us because it's all dishes that are not on the menu normally they're all written specifically to pair with the lineup of wines that the winemaker wants to present so they pick the wines and then eric and i put our heads together and talk about you know what we think would go well with those wines and he creates entirely new dishes that never are on the menu again i mean sometimes we've seen a dish hit the menu after a dinner that sort of grew out of that and seeing if people liked it and responded well to it, but they're, they're fun, you know, not experimental, but they're fun ways to try new things at the restaurant. And they're very communal. We, we seat everyone on big, long tables together. So you meet interesting people and it's very fun and casual and the winemaker talks throughout the evening and yeah, they're a lot of fun.
1: So that's the idea. And we have a dinner February 27th. Yep. Exactly. And that's generally been the idea at Portland food adventures dinners, uh, but the twist is instead of hearing from wine dinners, you hear from, from Eric yeah. about his favorite places and where he likes to go, and so I don't like I prefer not to have it be about the wine. It's yeah. about the food. Absolutely, there's great wine, but we're but not breaking in to talk about terroir and all totally. that. So, um, so that's that. That's there too. So I'm sure you have other events as well. Yeah, and, and so personally, just curious. What do you What do you do outside of the restaurant? What do you have planned for recreation this year?
3: There's not a whole lot of extra time. Um, but I, I mean, last year I, I took a big long hiatus from acting because um, I kind of got sick of it. And then I got into wine and really grabbed onto that. But last year I did my first play in eight years um, and it was a blast. I had so much fun and I realized how much I missed it. So if I could do one play a year, I'd be very happy. Um, Would you
1: ever put that on your website so people know where to find you? Because there's, that's a I little mean, depth to the experience. Let's it, go see what Kelsey does, you know, what interests. Yeah, interest we is. We
3: did put it in the newsletter when I did Shakespeare in Love this last fall. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. I never want to. Have the the restaurant do advertising for me personally, but it's of interest to people. Yeah. I
1: would think people would want to would be especially your regular customers. Yeah, they know you. They would love to go see you. Yeah, and a couple. It thing. was it was
3: really sweet. A lot of regulars from the restaurant did come to see this play, and 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 it was great. So maybe I can work it subtly into the
1: website somehow. Um, and That's I, such Portland thing. <laughs> don't get don't be too commercial. Yeah. Just so you have to. It organically wend it in so that no one thinks I'm, be, I'm advertising. Yeah,
3: yeah. well, so. and it's it's fun. I think when you're, I guess I felt guilty for a while, or felt like you know this is what I'm doing. I think especially as maybe I'm putting this on myself, but as a woman in the industry, especially as like a wine professional, I felt like I had to work extra hard to get any kind of respect. You know, when I first got my certifications and I was buying wine in LA and then when we opened the wine shop in Portland, people immediately just kind of wrote me off. I felt like, you know, because they would look at me and at the time when I was buying in LA, I was only 26 and you know, I probably looked like I didn't know anything about wine. And so I felt like I had to be very serious and make everyone think like wine was the only thing I did. And I was wholly dedicated to it. And it's not that I'm not, but but I think when people are multifaceted and have other interests, you know, I was really surprised that when I kind of started telling people, oh, I'm doing a play, you know, I think I was sort of apologizing for it at first and everyone was so supportive and people started talking about, oh, you know, I used to be a musician, or I actually used to direct plays in college, and I, you know, have this other passion in my life. And I think we should be supporting that in everyone a little more, because a lot of people in restaurants aren't, you don't, don't go into restaurants as their end-all be-all goal. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people do have other passions and interests. And so, yes, you're right. We should all be talking about it more.
1: <laughs> I Well, I think it's always fantastic to hear someone's Got this whole other side of their life especially when you had no idea yeah you know it's oh you do that yeah you know Eric is a musician you know and he I I don't know I think a lot of people have a lot of chefs yeah do that too I've Uh always thought there should be a really cool band in Portland with all made up of chefs (laughs) all made up of chefs (laughs) performs on Sunday Mondays and at (laughs) 3am and never never be able to rehearse maybe rehearse (laughs) by 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 Skype or something. Skype, exactly. Thank you for helping (laughs) me on that. Thank you for helping make this a wonderful interview. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. And this will be the first time we've gotten together and hopefully many more.
3: Look forward to it and hopefully see it well. Excited for the dinner on the 27th.
1: Yeah, well, totally excited for that. And so uh, we'll see you then. Cool. Thank Thank you. you.